You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. All right. So with that said, just uh, going to move into the message this morning. We're going to continue our series on uh, on David. I invite you to turn to First Samuel chapter seventeen. Is that correct? First Samuel chapter seventeen. I think I wrote sixteen, and I really confused the slide people because they were like, "This is not the right chapter." Um, so seventeen. First Samuel chapter seventeen. We're continuing to talk about David. He's one of the most most well known people in all of history. Right, and if you if you if you need a Bible, you can turn in those Bibles that are in the seats there. If you need a Bible, you can take one. We're happy to give them away. I love buying more Bibles, so please take them. You can take them. You can give them to a friend, um, give them to whoever you'd like. But you can follow along. It'll be on the screen in a few minutes there as well. But one thing that stands out above all others about David is that God said he was a man after His own heart. Right, and that's sort of the the title of the series is after a heart after His. Right, that David was a man after God's own heart. And we talked about how that's interesting that God himself would say that. Right? It's not like somebody said, oh, that guy, he's like God. No, God said, yeah, you're like me. Right? And that's like, that elevates it. That raises the bar. That's something totally different when God says, you've got a heart like mine. So we've been examining what was it about him that made God say that, right? And what would it take for us, what would it take for us to be like that? Like, what if somebody was like, hey, you have a heart like God. What if God were to say to you, you have a heart like me? Wouldn't that be awesome? So week one, we just said, okay, a heart like God, first of all, is humble. It knows I've got a, David was in the lineage of Jesus, right? And David's just a name. He's just one name, and it's not even his story, right? It's his generations and generations. He's just one generation in a long, long story, right? He's humble about it. But, says David, fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation. He did his part, right? There's something humble about that, saying, I'm just one man, but I still have a role here. So much so that later on we kind of, you know, they call Jesus the son of David, right? There's, they're referencing Jesus through this one guy who is just one name in a long list. But, you know, they're not, they're not saying, you know, you know, the son of, you know, all this or that or somebody else. They're picking David. The second week we talked last week about how a heart like God is, is hopeful. It never stops hoping, right? Even when you're in the waiting, when you've got a promise and you're just not there yet, and you're just stuck in waiting, wondering where God is, where is he showing up in this? In that waiting period, David never stopped hoping. Anointed king, 15 to 20 years, perhaps, till he actually became king. He's in the waiting, but he never lost hope. Today we're going to explore perhaps the most well-known, the most famous story in all of history. Yes, we're talking about David and Goliath, right? David and Goliath. Yes, that's exactly as a historical representation you've most likely heard the story before or some variation of it right it's a very familiar story right? and my prayer is that god would somehow open your eyes to something new some of you have heard this story probably hundreds if not thousands of times right i grew up like one of the first stories you hear as a kid if you went to sunday school or anything like that right you'd know this story you've seen it you've like really going to preach on david and goliath i know Imagine, like, I got to say this, so I got to get up here and say and try and find something that you haven't heard yet, you know, or somehow. And my prayer is just that God would open your eyes to something new and that when you walk out, somehow your heart would be more like his than it's ever been. That's the prayer today. That's simply the prayer. Um, so just to give some context to the story. First, remember David, youngest of eight brothers, right? So he's the, he's the runt of the litter, 
right? He's the little guy. He's a shepherd, right? They're all in the house. They forget they even have this guy. He's like out in the fields with the sheep and the goats, right? Nobody remembers that he's the brother. He's just sort of out there. Um, nothing impressive about him. Comes from a mixed bag of ancestors, right? We said there's some good people in his background, and there's some not good people in his background. There's just sort of like this whole mix, right? He's an Israelite, so a Hebrew boy, right? The history of Israel is this story of faithfulness and then forgetting God. Oh, we love God. Oh, we forget about God. Oh, we love God. Oh, we forgot about God. So it's sort of this up and down roller coaster ride of, of Israel's history with God. And David comes out of this lineage, right, of people being faithful and forgetting, right? And it's Saul now is the first king of Israel. Israel never had a king. They said, we want a king. God says, you don't want a king. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your kids. They say, no, we want a king. He says, you really don't want a king. They go, oh, we do. And so God gives him a king. He's like, yeah, fine. You're asking for a king. I'll give you Saul. Right? Saul, he becomes king. He's the first king of Israel. And just like everybody else in Israel, he's faithful. And then he forgets God. All right? That's the story. Right? Now, in this, Israel's got enemies. There's people around them, right, at that time in history that are just sort of attacking. There's constant war going on between peoples around the world. And they would attack them, and so the king would lead his people into battle. So if somebody's attacking, the king says, hey, let's go to war. And the king would be the one leading. He was the military leader as well. That's the point we need to understand. He's the military leader as well. And uh, they had just had a war with a nation called Amalek and the Malachites. And God says, okay, wipe them all out. And Saul says, I got a better idea. We'll wipe them out, except I'm going to keep the best stuff for me. I think it just, it just feels better. So he takes the best stuff. God's like, what are you doing? Like, it's not what I asked you to do. It's the final straw. So God decides to move on from Saul. Right? And has Samuel anoint David king. Right? That's sort of what we talked about so far. And, uh, but it's not time yet. Right? So David goes back to being a shepherd. Saul is still king, and that's where we're picking up the story. So just give you some history. We're picking up the story there. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 1, it says this. It says, the Philistines now mustered, uh, mustered, not mustered, like, you know, put on hot dog, but mustering uh, their army for battle. It means gathering them together, like, an, like when you muster for the St. Patrick's Day parade over at Foxmoor. Right? We're going to gather everybody together, right, for battle. And they camped between Sukkah in Judah and Azekah at, yep, wherever. Okay, so there you go. You have no idea where that is, neither do I. Verse 2, Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. And so the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. So you imagine a hill, a hill, a valley, and a little bit. We'll actually show you um, what that looks like. Right? And it says, the, then, so they're facing each other in battle. Valley between says, then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. So just, 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 just pretty much we're close. We're like, just got me by a little bit. All right, Gath was a major city in Philistia. All right, this was a geographic region, a major city there. And it was the home of the Anakim, which is this uh, well-known lineage of people that were rumored to be giants. They were giant people when, you know, the children of Israel going into the promised land. For example, people are like giants. It's the Anakim that they're seeing. These people were extraordinarily tall. They were known for being tall, big people. And here's where it gets a little crazy. I'm not going to go into this, but they were possibly descendants of a, of a race of people called the Nephilim. I'm not going to preach it because that's for another day. I will never preach it. Okay, if you'd like to read about it, Genesis 6, go ahead. Basically, basically, um, angels and came down and had babies with human ladies, and they said these people were like, like superhumans. 
right? That's what they call it. Yeah, it's in the Bible. I don't know what to do with it. I'll be honest with you. I've gone to theological. I've got degrees in this stuff. I don't know what to do with that. So, but perhaps Goliath was a descendant of this race of people. So these were like, like the, the, the tallest recorded Guinness Book of World Records is like 811. There was a guy in the 40s. They measured him. He was 8 foot 11. So 9 feet tall is not like impossible. Like we have that on record. There's actually pictures of him. Like you can Google him, right? But Goliath is about nine and change. Verse 5, it says, He wore a bronze helmet. His bronze coat of mail, like his armor, weighed 125 pounds. That's some heavy armor. Imagine putting on a backpack of 125 pounds. Some of you work at Warriors like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I would love to see you go jogging with 125 pounds on your back. He also wore bronze leg armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft, just the, the, the wood of his spear, was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. This was a big dude, big armor. His armor bearer walked in front of him, ahead of him, carrying a shield. So not only is he huge, he's armed for battle. He is the army. Like he's a one-man walking army himself. Big, bad, loaded for bear, and he knows it. He knows it, right? So it says next, it says, He stood, Goliath stood and shouted, a taunt across to the Israelites. I'm big, I'm bad, I know it. And he says, why are you all coming out to fight, he called. And he says this, I am the Philistine champion. I'm the best guy they got. But you're only the servants of Saul. Right? You can just try to diminish them. Right? Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. This was common in battle that time. Rather than, you know, let's, rather than everybody kind of fighting, why don't we just settle this, you and me, and then we just, you know, if I win, we win, and just, let's just make it easy on everybody. Give them a break from all the battle, right? It says, if he kills me, we'll be your slaves. But if, if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Terrified and deeply. This is a king. And his army is coming off a victory. Saul, they just won a victory. They just completely destroyed people, right? And now one man is stopping him. Saul had no problem going to battle against the Philistines. He was ready. They were loading up. They were getting ready to go to battle. He had no problem with the army. But when one man separates himself from the army, all of a sudden, Saul, he's he's scared. Now remember, Saul was king. And what did it say about Saul that qualified him to be king? What was Saul? It says he stood what? Head and shoulders above everybody else. Saul in his own right is a big guy. He's a big guy. He's probably the most qualified person to go out there and face Goliath. He's the king, the leader of the army. He's big. He's tall. Chosen by God. But a bigger dog came along and created fear in his heart. See, this is a story of contrasts. Because next to here, right after he says this, the writer immediately switches and says, now, David, just think about that, terrified, deeply shaken. Let's just switch. Now, David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And Jesse was an old man, and he had eight sons, which we know. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shimei, who were not king material, right, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. His three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. He's anointed king, and he is still with the sheep. 
right? Still with the sheep, just a kid, shuttling goods back and forth to his big, brave soldier brothers, right? They're off in battle, and he's this shepherd boy. Knows that God called me something more, but he's just sitting on it, right? Not time yet. It says, for 40 days, verse 16, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted, come on, strutted, right, in front of the Israelite army. I don't know how a, a giant strut, I don't know how a giant struts, you know, he's walking out there feeling himself. 40 days. I don't want you to miss that. 40 days. They won. Anybody? Day two. Anybody? Day three. Anybody? Day four. Anybody? Try and do anything for 40 days. That's a long time. And for 40 days, he comes out and he taunts them. And guess what? Not one taker. Just fear. So one day, Jesse says to David, the father says to his son, take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brother's. Just like you always do. This is your job, right? Give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. I love that there's cheese in the Bible. All right? See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they're doing. So he's basically the busboy. He's the bread and cheese guy. Right? You know, when you're at a restaurant, like somebody comes out, he's like, here's bread. And you're, like, that's just the bus. He's not your server. He's just you know, water. Right? right? Like, that's David. Right? He's nobody. You don't even address him. Right? You don't, he doesn't have a name tag. He's not carrying a towel. He's just the busboy. Bring him back to his brothers, bringing bread and cheese. David's brothers were there with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep. Where is he? He's with the sheep. So this whole time that Goliath has been for 40 days, where's David? He's still with the sheep. Just out with the sheep. He leaves the sheep with another shepherd, set out early the next morning with gifts as Jesse had directed him. And it just so happened that he arrived at camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. This is, just, this is absurd, just so you know. Think about this. They're making battle cries. Yeah, let's go! Let's go, we're going to fight! Oh, it's going to be great! You know, whooping, hollering, rah, yeah, we're going to kill them all! When for the last 40 days they know how this is going to go. We're going we're to march out there and this guy's going to come out and not one of us are going to say anything. But they're continuing to put on the show. Why would you, like, they know what's going to happen. Verse 21, soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. So here we go. Let's see if we got it. Look at this. Here we go. Let's see if this works. I don't know. Is that going to work? Here we go. I'll give you a little visual. It's Google Earth. It's amazing what you can do now. All right, this is the Valley of Elah. This is where they were fighting. Okay, so this is we're going to zoom in here. And that's a little visual, right? Here we go. Look at this. So cool, isn't it? Look at this. Here we go. All the way down. You've got a hill, and you've got a hill, and that's the Valley of Elah right there. That's where it is, right? It says they're facing each other, army against army. Now, I want you to understand, there was one on the other side, one on this side, valley in between. They were there. It says when Goliath started out, he was shouting from one side to the other. Now it says they stood Facing each other, army against army. Step by step, he's gotten closer and closer. They're almost face to face. Just fear, unmet and unaddressed, will keep encroaching on you. He started off on the other side, nobody says anything, so he just took another step closer. 
And he took another step closer for 40 days. He's been taking steps closer and closer till they are face to face. The armies are facing each other in the middle of that. It says David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to meet his brothers. And as he's talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion, comes out from the Philistine ranks. And David hears him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. And as soon as the Israelite army, remember the one who was just, yeah, we're going to go here. As soon as the army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Forty days, they've been doing the same thing over and over and over again. Run away. Have you seen the giant? The man asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. And David asked the soldier, standing there, what are you going to get? Wait, what's that? What are you going to what do you get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? You get free taxes? And and, and I get a I get a king's daughter? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway? That he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God. And these men gave David the same reply. They said, Yep, that's the reward. He's going to get all that stuff. Now remember, this is day 41. They've heard this before. They know it's coming. They know the drill. Right? He threatens, they run away. He threatens, they run away. Every day it's an act. We're gonna, I'm going to put on clothes. I'm going to face today. And today's going to be a different day. And I'm going to do better today. And then fear meets you in the face and you run away. It's been the same story every day for your whole life. You come forward and it's going to be different today. I'm going to, and you go through the act. You put yourself together and you say, today's going to be different. And as soon as fear shows its face, you run away. The only difference is now fear is another step closer to you. And another step closer to you. Forty, this is day 41. It's a day like every other day. Nothing is different today. The only difference today is that David happens to be there. And it's the first time for David. This is day one for him. Day 41 for them, but day day one for David. He has a different response than everybody else. Who is this guy? Who do you think he is defying our God? And the heart of David is beginning to emerge. There's something in the story that's beginning to surface. When David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he's angry. Hmm. What are you doing around here anyway? You ready for this? What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just wanted to see the battle. Can you hear it? The words meant to demean him, to belittle him. You know, this is the brother who was passed over to be king, right? He knows what happened in their home, that David was anointed king. He's the older brother. He's the one that Samuel said, man, he's got all the visuals. He surely should be king. Well, I was probably thinking the same thing himself. And he's just saying, get back with the sheep. You want to be king. David is about to teach us all a huge lesson. Verse 29 says, like a good little brother, what I do now? What have I done now? Get off my back. I was only asking a question. And he walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. He's just trying to do some discovery. His brother's like, get back with the sheep, you little nothing. Chuck Swindoll makes this observation. He says, David knew who to fight and who to leave alone. His brother's getting in his face. You know what David does? He says, this is not my battle today. There are people, not everybody who opposes you, and not everybody who challenges you, and not everybody who attacks you is worth fighting. You can just walk away from some people. David, incredibly wise, knew who to fight and who to walk away from. 
Verse 31 says, then David's question was reported to King Saul. There's some kid out here saying he wants to fight. The king sends for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I got it. I'll go fight him. Saul replied, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. I'm sure the king felt so much better. He said, when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this both to lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And he continues. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. So this is huge. Where does David say that his preparation for the battle took place? He says it took place in the wilderness with the sheep and goats, right? The pastures. You know what? David didn't try to hide that he was just a shepherd boy. He actually, like, leans into it, right? Like, if you're trying to impress somebody, there's part of your pasture, like, I don't really want to talk about that. Like, I just want to put a good, you know, if, if I'm asking, if I want to go fight the giant, I'll people think I can, I can handle this. Well, do you know, I used to be the, uh, I was voted most likely to uh, go to college. You know, I don't know. Like, like, you're trying to put on a good, no, no, listen, I, I'm, I, I was a shepherd. He owns it. I was a shepherd. He doesn't try to avoid it. He leans in. And what did he do when wild animals attacked? He went after them. He chased them down. He pursued. He ran after those wild animals. Hold on to that for a minute. And who does he give credit for the victory there? The Lord did this for me. The Lord was the one who rescued me. Listen, I did these things, but it was God who made it happen. David kind of ties all this in. We're going to to tie it all together in just a minute. Verse 38 says, Saul then gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail, and David put it on and strapped the sword over it. And he took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. Just imagine me going into, like, big and tall. Right? Like, mm, mm, I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. I could, I could really preach this story for, like, ten weeks. There's so much stuff in here. You can't fight your battles the way somebody else fights their battles. We look around social media, the information age. We've got so much information about how people fight their battles. Well, if I just do what they do or this seems to be working for them. God has given you everything you need to fight the battle in front of you. You don't need what somebody else has. The worst thing David could have done here was pretend to be kingly. Had he put the armor on and pretended to be a king, he'd have gotten slaughtered. But he said, you know what? I'm a shepherd. Might not be impressive to everybody else, but that's what I am. And I'm going to fight like one. Verse 40. Like a good shepherd, he picks up five smooth stones from a stream and puts them into his shepherd's bag. The shepherd. Then armed with only his shepherd's staff and his sling... He started across that valley to fight the Philistine. 
a shepherd. Like he's wearing a bag with a couple of rocks and a wooden stick. There's a superhuman standing on that field, possibly the descendant of angels, and the outcome of any battle will determine the entire outcome for both armies, for both people groups. Like a lot's on the line here. Goliath has swords, spears, armor. He's got a guy holding a shield in front of him. He's got, he got people. He's got a guy in front of him. David has literally a stick and some stones. You know what they say about sticks and stones, right? Now pay attention to what happens next. It says, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Makes you think David was really attractive. Am I a dog? He roared at David, that you come at me with a stick. So even back then, dogs like to chase sticks, in case you're curious. Go way back. And he cursed David by the names of his gods. And he said this, Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. He dares David, Come at me. Come on. Come at me. Come towards me. And David replies to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today, who? The Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here, look around, see everybody here. They're going to know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with swords and spears. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. This is like next level trash talk. Right? Take this to the basketball court, right? The Lord's going to conquer you. You might be faster than me, but God's going to dunk on you. Okay, there is something David says here that should resound in our hearts. It's very simple. It goes like this. This is not my battle. This is the Lord's battle. The Lord will conquer you. But guess what? I'm going to get to cut off your head. God's going to beat you. He's going to do it all. But my hand's going to be on that sword. My hand's going to be on that sword. And next comes one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Verse 48 says, As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Goliath is walking. David is running. Goliath is walking. David is running. He's running out to meet the giant. There's no hesitation. There's no, there's not this moment of, hmm, is this really a good idea? Do I want to do this? No, he runs. He runs toward the giants, just like he ran toward the bears, just like he ran towards the lions. This is not the first time David has run towards an enemy. He's running. The wilderness was not a wasted season. It was a training ground for battle. And David learned that when you're in battle, you charge. You go at your enemy. You come. And reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stones sank in. Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. From all appearances, David is the underdog. Right? He's overmatched. But we know that David was perfectly equipped to fight Goliath. In a wonderful book, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called David and Goliath. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. He says Goliath never had a chance. He says essentially Goliath brought a knife to a gunfight. 
He's saying, David, come at me. I'm gonna, he needs David to be somewhere within range. He's got a sword. David's got long-range artillery. He could get you from 100 yards away. Goliath needs you next to him. See, how helpful was that shield bearer? Because the shield bearer was just as tall as us normal people. I like to include myself in the normal people. He was a normal-sized guy. Goliath's head was higher than that. It was exposed. See, perhaps what seemed like a strength to Goliath, his height, could actually be a liability, a vulnerability there. Because he's exposed. Because your shield, the guy, no matter how tall he was, he couldn't hold it up that high. Goliath is looking like he's got it all together, that he's in, unbeatable. But perhaps what looks like strength is actually a liability. See, God sees strength in you, perhaps, where you see weakness. You're going, well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a shepherd boy. He's a man of war. He's got all this. He's got armor. He's got all this. What? I'm just, and God says, you are perfectly equipped, perfectly equipped to win the battle in front of you. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. And David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. Oh, here's a sword. And David used him to kill him and cut off his head, just like he said he was going to do. I know it's a little gruesome. A few takeaways. A few takeaways. One, the battle always belongs to the Lord. Your battle always belongs to the Lord. You have no battles with the enemy. God is always ready to fight for you. You never walk into battle on your own. You may look like a speck compared to the giant in front of you. But the giant in front of you looks like a speck compared to God. David had confidence because he knew the battle wasn't in his hands. Some of you now, you're facing battles. And you're sitting here saying, this thing in front of me is bigger than me. And it may be, but it's not your fight. The Lord fights for you. The Lord fights. Unless you'd like to be the one fighting. Do you want to fight the battle for yourself? If you'd like to take on giants on your own strength, you have freedom to do that. But the Lord says, I'm, I want to fight for you. The battle is mine. And you need to know that because there are times that we have fear. And fear can stop you from fighting battles that you would win. From battles that you should win. There is fear in your lives and in my life right now that is stopping me from fighting a battle that I would win. Think about it. Fear says it's a liar. It's a deceiver. You think this is huge. You think this is great. You think this is impossible. Last weekend, we were at a conference, and uh, the pastor's name was Tim Lucas, made this observation, and I thought it was brilliant. He said, fear is the belief that wasn't have, what hasn't happened yet will. Fear is the belief that wasn't ha- what hasn't happened yet will. He says, but faith is the belief that wasn't, hasn't happened yet will. Same definition. The same definition for faith and for fear. Fear is the belief that what hasn't happened yet is going to happen. And, and faith is the belief that what hasn't happened yet is going to happen. Think about that. See, fear is faith. Fear is just faith in the enemy. Faith is fearing, is, 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 is trusting God. Right? 
So, for 40 straight days, King Saul and his entire army were demoralized because they heard Goliath's threats and they believed him. See, they were believing Goliath. He said, I'm going to kill you. He said, yeah, he's going to. He's going to kill me. He's going to, we're going to be slaves. We're going to lose. This is a losing battle. I can't, I can't do this. They believed Goliath. But here's the thing. It's a winnable battle. A shepherd boy beat him. That was a winnable battle. But their fear or their faith in Goliath crippled them. So here's the question for you. And it goes very simply. It goes, who are you counting on to win? Who are you counting on to win? Are you counting on God to win? Are you counting on the enemy to win? Where is your faith? David was counting on God, and here's why it matters. It reveals about David that not only is a heart after God humble, not, after, not only is a heart after God hopeful, but a heart after God is fearless. A heart after God is fearless. It acknowledges that the battle is not mine. It's God's. And if it's his, I can trust him and confidently move forward. So what can we do when it feels like there is a giant in front of us? What can we do when it feels like there's a giant in front of us? One, expose your fear. Just expose your fear, you know? Bring it into light. What happens when there's a monster in the closet? You flick on the light. Oh, it's just my sweatshirt hung over a vacuum, right? Like, oh, I just... Right? When, when you expose things, David did it. He said, bro, all you have is swords and spears. I got the God of thunder and lightning. The God who's, who holds the storehouses of heaven. The God who made all this. I got this. Expose your fear and then declare your faith. David would write these words. And I want you to... Stood. Read this with me again. We do this every week, but we're going to highlight certain words. Psalm 23 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. Come on, read with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. What do you have? You have all that you need to fight the battles. You have all that you need. David wrote these words. Perhaps this, this experience. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. David fought in a meadow and he picked up rocks from a stream. Just, just. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. You guys are doing a terrible job reading along. Let's do this again. All right, come on. Read this one, particularly read this one, and let's read it loudly. Come on, because this is, this is really relevant. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. In the battle, in the valley, when you're going out there to face the giant, God's saying, I got it. I got it. The battle is mine. Next. Here we go. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. He's got a feast. He's going out to fight his enemy. And he's, got, he's like, listen, let's just throw a party right now because God's got this. God's got this. Right? Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. My God says it's time to party. I know how this is going to end. I'm going to fight for you. It's okay. Expose your fear. Declare your faith. And finally, you can run to the battle. You can run to the battle. If you expect God to win, you live 
differently. When you expect God to win, you walk in differently. You attempt things that seem unreasonable. You go where others would not. You take on bears and lions and giants. And things that sort of confront you, when you get diagnoses that are like a big old giant, you go, you know what? I got faith in my God. When relationships go sideways and it becomes something messy and, you know, or a job situation goes and you're like, ah, and it turns into a giant. I got faith that my God has me. Followers of Jesus can have a fearless heart. We have a, a little joke in our, we have a church fantasy football league. And there's a sort of a statement that one of, these, one of our guys was drafting a bunch of players and choosing for his team, which is, I know it's fake football and it doesn't make any difference to anybody. But he was taking all these players that were highly questionable and risky. He said, man, you, you, you're trying to target all of them. And he made this statement. He says, you know, shooters got to shoot. And if you're, if you're in any sport and anything, that just means, listen, even if I miss 100 shots, my job's a shooter. I just got to keep taking shots, right? No matter what it is, I got I to gotta keep going. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you got to shoot. You got to have faith. What good is it to be a follower of Jesus but live in fear? Saying, God, I believe that you, you do all this, but I don't want any of the benefit of it. I want to continue to live in fear. I'm going to continue to have faith in the enemy that he's still bigger than you. Yeah, Jesus, I knew you won on the cross and I knew you did all this stuff and I know you did all that. But you know what? I don't want to live a life that actually lives out faith. I promise you there are things in your life that you know that God is asking you to do. But fear is standing in the way. Let me ask you again, who are you counting on to win? Because if you're counting on God to win... You are running towards that giant. You are running right at it. And I asked the band to come on up. We're going to close the song. While we were also heard the, another pastor say this. So the pathway to your greatest potential is often straight through your greatest fear. Don't miss this. I know they're coming up, so don't be distracted. The pathway to your greatest potential is often straight through your greatest fear. Perhaps... God put Goliath in David's way on purpose. David could have showed up at the battle any day, any time. But he happened to show up to the battle just at the moment when Goliath was coming out. David had been there before. He had been running cheese and bread to his brothers all over the, all over the place. God put Goliath in his way. What if the thing that's causing you fear, God has put there because he needs you to walk through it? So that you can keep trusting him. This was just the first of many things that led to David becoming king. What if that day David had just been like everybody else? Said, yeah, that's pretty scary. How long would that have persisted? How long would the army have just sat there overwhelmed? What's the cost when you and I fail to walk in faith? What's the cost when we sit there and go, fear? I believe you're going to win. I got faith in the enemy. What's the cost, not just to ourselves, but to those around us? Because David won that battle that day and it changed the course for Israel. 
See, here's the thing. When you respond in faith, I love this, ready? You find yourself winning battles you shouldn't win. You're sitting there going, this is stupid. I should not be doing this right now. I should not be here. This, how is this happening? Let me tell you, the Lord goes before you. The Lord wins the battles for you. The Lord conquers for you. When you step out in faith, you find yourself winning. This relationship shouldn't be going so well right now. This situation shouldn't be changing. I shouldn't have peace like I have right now when God shows up. See, because when you, when you win, you know what David did? He cut off his head, cut off Goliath's head, and he kept it. Put it in his own tent. It's really weird. It's twisted. It's disturbing. You know why he did it? I don't want to forget the victories that God wins for me. We're so quick sometimes to move on. Yeah, God did this and we move on. No, 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 no. Every time I smell it, every time I look at that head, I don't know if you put it in a jar or something. I don't know. It says later on, we know that he kept David's sword. He kept Goliath's sword. We find that later on. Mementos. When God does something in your life, when God wins a battle for you, celebrate it. Don't forget it. Because then the next time you come up to a giant, you go, listen, I got a collection of giant swords in my closet. Would you like to be the next one? Come on. Bring it. And it gives a testimony to everybody around you that my God is bigger than the giants. They are nothing. My God wins. And everybody's going to know, David said, everybody assembled here is going to know that there is a God in heaven who reigns over all things. See, when you walk towards giants, when you run towards giants, not only do you win battles you shouldn't win, but everybody else knows there's something else in play here because that little shepherd boy could not beat that giant. But God. But God. We're going to sing a song and I just want you to, as we sing this song, if there's something in your life that's causing fear right now, and you know it, if there's something that you know that you're just struggling with today, would you just offer it to God as we, as we sing this song? Say, God, I believe you're asking me to do something. I believe you're leading me this way. I believe you've impressed this upon my heart and fear is real in my life. And I'm struggling because I believe it. Would you just give it to God and say, God, I'm going to give it to you as we sing. And let this be a declaration of faith. God, that I want, I want to believe you and not that. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church... Or if you'd like to connect with us online, just visit wearelifetree.com.